0: Tomorrow marks
1: the one-year anniversary of the arrest and imprisonment of Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in China. Their detention is seen as a retaliatory move by the Chinese government after the arrest of Chief Financial Officer of Huawei Technologies Meng Wanzhou, who was arrested in Vancouver on December 1st, 2018, at the request of the U.S. government. Now, uh, just a few days ago, Meng Wrote an op ed piece about adjusting to her house arrest and the limits on her freedom. And her house arrest can only be described as palatial. She's found the time to read more books, making oil paintings. Kovar and Kovrig and Spavor are being held in cramped jail cells where the lights are kept on all night and they have no access. To lawyers. According to Covering's boss, he is coping, but there's no indication when and how they might be released. I'm joined now by Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China, Dr. Jeremy Paltiel, Professor of Politics, Government, and Foreign Policies of Asia at Carleton University, and an expert in China-Canada relations, and Dr. Gordon Holden, Director of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. Welcome to you all. Thanks so much for being with us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, Let us start with you, Chuck. Do you have Any hope at all that uh, the two Michaels might be released sometime soon?
2: I don't have any hope uh, they will be released anytime soon, just because I think our posture with China has been very, very bad. Uh, We've been seen as the weakling, uh, a medium power country that uh, cannot stand up for China. And China does not respect anybody who do not stand up strong to them. Uh huh. Despite what they are saying,
1: Doctor Paul Thiel, do you
2: agree?
3: Well, I don't think that that's necessarily the reason why, but I don't expect them to be released soon because China has said very clearly that uh, it's the the key to everything is uh, Meng Wanzhou. So um, I think that uh, they will hold on until the case of Meng Wanzhou is resolved, or as it moves forward.
1: You know, we just heard that her case might take years. Dr. Holden?
4: Um, it's possible. Uh, the, if you have good lawyers, and she certainly has very good lawyers, and if the rulings go against her, that is, in the extradition hearing, um, and she is in theory bound for extradition in the United States, uh, the appeal process can drag out for years. We had a case of the of the attempting to... We were attempting to deport a, a smuggler from China. It took us 11 years. Uh, I'm not suggesting it will take that long. I personally think that something will give before then, but I would say ex- expectations that it would be resolved in the next several months are very modest. I would agree that... The Chinese are determined that they will not get out until, unless Madame Meng's case is disposed of. And I would also note that she's not actually under house arrest; she's free to roam about the city uh, at leisure. Uh, I think that uh, we're in it. We're in a box, and there's no exit readily in sight.
1: Yeah, she's she's got an ankle bracelet and a curfew, and uh, she roams around at some very expensive spots.
2: To make things worse, uh, this is all in the context of Huawei's uh, trying to dominate the market in 5G. And you recently have the news that her father, the founder of Huawei, has decided that he would now move his research facilities from uh, California to uh, somewhere in Canada. So that's like uh, dangling another bait uh, for Canadians to bite up to it and uh, and further their ambition um, of kind of, uh, you know, dominating the this, the technology scene.
1: Uh, yeah, and that, that puts us in a pickle. I mean, we've been told by our closest allies, the United States, you better not go with 5G and, uh, you know, uh, there could be other consequences. Dr. Paltio?
4: Well, this,
3: is a, this whole issue of uh, the 5G technology in Huawei is a very complex one. Much of the 5G technology of Huawei has been, was developed in Canada by Canadian researchers who used to work for Nortel, but Nortel went bankrupt, and Huawei then hired the engineers. Um, so uh, if we ban Huawei as is possible, Two things are two things are will happen is that a our competitiveness as a nation will decline because Canadian technology will not be able to be used. Secondly, um, it also will mean that um, you know that that the the United States, by the way, has no player in five G. The only other players in 5G are, are Ericsson and um, one other co- company. So the, this is a, a high-stakes game. But I think it's also important to remember that um, the reason, one reason why the Chinese were so upset with the arrest of Ms. Meng was that this, the ban on Huawei was announced by Mr. Trump about two weeks before her arrest. And Chinese read the rest of Ms. Meng as Canadians piling on to the uh, trade war that's being initiated by the United States. We have we, can't, we have to keep that in mind. So I mean the, the whole the whole game is rather complex. Um, Huawei, you know, you know, I have no particular brief for Huawei one way or another, but we have to understand that uh, Huawei is is a is a player in Canada. In Canada at least five different universities um, get research funding from Huawei and uh, produce intellectual property here. Um, So it's not simply a a simple matter of, um, you know, a a big bad company trying to push us around. It's also a question of what kind of, you know, competitive strategy we have.
1: Well, we we get all kinds of things from China that are turning out to be quite problematic Dr. Holden I mean we just heard reports about the BC government moving in uh, to long-term care homes run by China we've had problems with the Confucius Institute on universities uh, so how but it all seems to be intertwined
4: well China is a, a, a complex place its standards are often uh, not up to Canadian standards um, we need to bring Canadian law and regulation to play if these retirement homes owned by the insurance company Yanbang, actually technically owned by the Chinese government now, are insufficient, then the Canadian law needs to be and is being brought to bear. I have some difficulty with the idea that we're going to have nothing to do with China, given that we're more trade dependent than any country except for in the G seven except for uh for except for Germany. Uh so I think we, we do need to deal with China. It needs to be eyes wide open. The Huawei case is going to be a particularly difficult one for the Canadian cabinet because they're going to have to balance some of the economic benefits which uh, Dr. Bautil noted against the American threat to cut us out of the Five Eyes intelligence arrangements uh, should should we go ahead with Huawei. UK right now is sitting on the fence. Uh, Germany's got a different policy. Uh, These are... Not going to be easy decisions, the shades of gray is going to be a tough decision to federal cabinet, and any way they jump pro or anti uh will be controversial to be sure, with important consequences for the Canadian economy or for our security so it's a a top order a first order of business for the federal cabinet and that decision cannot be postponed much longer because the 5g needs to be rolled out by Canadian telecom providers early beginning early in next year so we're coming up to a crunch point I think we're just a few months away
2: i I agree that uh, you know I can appreciate the whole complexity of the situation how we are so intertwined however i I have a particular problem with our current government the way it deals with China in terms of uh, kind of very very timid way i know that two canadians uh life is in danger but you know the thing is that we can do things that we 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 have not done i want to point to one example uh you know a few months ago when canada uh, china decided to ban canadian pork they cited maybe four or five violations of uh you know export food safety i found out uh, from another agency, a news agency that they have gone to a uh, Canadian food agency to ask for um, co- release of Freedom of Information Act. They found out that there were like 700 or 900 violations of Chinese food imports into Canada that violate food safety standards. And that was keep, kept hidden. Nobody knows about it. Uh, than uh, this news agency gone into just getting Freedom of Information Act. My, my question to global affairs has always been, why don't we use some of these things as, as, a, as a weapon or as a tool to negotiate with China? Why are we so timid about letting China roll over us and lecture us on what we should do like a kid? Let's
1: talk about the United States for a bit. Are, are they playing us as well, Dr. Paltio?
2: Yes, of course they are.
3: Um, the I mean, the, we all know that uh, very soon after Ms. Meng was uh, um, arrested, Mr. Trump himself tweeted that he could get her released if the Chinese played ball on trade issues. Um, that is now actually a matter that's being considered by the judge in the case. Um, so, the, yes, the, and we know from the... Uh, from the New York Times that uh, the United States Justice Department was looking for ways of nailing Huawei for many years before these um, the video evidence that came about as a result of the case against HSBC came. So, I mean, it, it, this is a much bigger game. Um, if I may respond a little bit to what Mr. Kwan said, I, and I'm sure Mr. Holden, uh, Dr. Holden agrees with me, we need to be actually... Uh, more willing to use reciprocity in our dealings with China, absolutely. But we have to be careful and smart. Um, agricultural exports are, mo- are among our most valuable exports to China. So, uh, um, and we run it, we actually, for every dollar that we send to China, the Chinese send three to Canada. So that uh, act, cutting off our exports is not really a good uh, is, is actually not a good way for us to exercise leverage over China so we have to find other ways of exercising leverage of what we can um, and simply tit- for tat retaliation is probably not going to work very well
1: Dr. Holden, what do you think
4: well I could frankly both of your other panelists I think are making some very uh, some very valid points. Um, I do favor full enforcement of Canadian regulations. I mean, we're a country of rule of law. If the Chinese side, in their exports, there's violations of the food safety arrangement, uh, we should be vigilant and those as they are being vigilant with us. And apparently there were some some, some forgery of pork export papers. Uh, Chinese have now lifted the ban on Canadian pork and beef, but we need to make sure what we're exporting is by the book, and we need to make sure that our importers that are bringing in food products in China are also going by the book. Where I have particular concerns about um, Mr. Kovrig and Mr. Spavor is, in general, this is probably not the best time to come forward with a raft of sanctions against China. It it One could argue these are things we could do, I would say we ought to do, although we're very trade-dependent as a nation, far more trade-dependent than China. But I'm worried about things that will harden the situation, and leaving the two Canadians stuck in jail. I think the focus should really be on—now, I'd like the focus to be on the two cases of the two Canadians. The Chinese have the focus on Madame Meng. To me, this is a situation for high-level, confidential diplomacy. Is there not a way we can solve this deal, maybe involving Washington if need be, but not necessarily? We need to fix that situation, these two. Because if we get tough across the board, uh, I worry that our two detained Canadians could be there for many years in difficult circumstances. And that deeply bothers me. Um, uh, the United States has made prisoner swap arrangements. They just made one. Last week, involving a, a detained um, Iranian in, in the United States, releasing him in exchange for an American. I'm not saying that's the route we have to go down. Who, who do we have I think we need to theirs get theirs
1: here <laughs> that we can swap? Maybe that's, uh, but they had, there's only one person they want, and it's Hmong.
2: Uh, That's right. I, I want. I want to add to Gordon's point. Uh, I'm not advocating for tit for tat. I they, they have done that. I'm not think we should do that with agricultural product. My point was, why can't we make this known, at least to the Canadian public, if not the Chinese official, and say, look, you stop our pork import for uh, export for uh, based on four or five violations of forged reports we have 700 or 900 foot violation over the last two years from you. Uh, it's a posture when you're doing diplomatic relationship. It's also the posturing. And what I'm really upset about is the way the uh, the Chinese ambassador in to Ottawa keep lecturing us as it was the parent teaching kids, you'll be punished, using words like punishment, uh, if we don't behave. So that to me, it's... Uh, you, we're not playing on the same level playing ground right now. Uh, we are constantly kind of deferring to China, and I think a little bit of a backbone standing up to China won't hurt. It won't hurt the lives of the two Michaels, nor will it hurt our uh, exports.
1: Uh, well, Doctor Holden seems to disagree. Doctor Paul Tiel,
3: um, yeah, I don't think necessarily. I mean, I think I think we do need to. We do need to hold our own, I think as Dr. Holden said, we should be enforcing our law we wherever and whenever we can um but I think that that uh, raising the level of confrontation will not i know for a fact will not help the two michaels uh, um and uh so that's that is is the way that's going to convince China to do different things differently. i mean I might remind our listeners or that uh Mr. Harper would try to intervene on behalf of one Canadian um, who was Uyghur, who was um, sent to China from Uzbekistan, and um, he is still in jail. So raising the temperature doesn't always help.
1: The thing that I'm curious about in terms of the pork... So, they have a shortage of pork. They need it. I mean, we have something that they really need. I think there was some kind of disease that, that wiped out their pork. So, isn't that something that we could have leverage with, even though it might cost a few bucks?
3: Here, though, is. Pardon? What was interesting in this case is China is now paying more for the same pork that they could have imported in June. Okay. They're buying Canadian pork.
4: They're right. not paying more. Yeah. Gordon, <laughs> it, 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 it's true that the swine, African swine fever has decimated over half of the what? national herd of pigs in, 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 in China, and they are desperately short. Prices are sometimes four times the normal price domestically, and that's an issue for the government and for the party in China. Uh, the problem is that China is such a massive producer of pork that the surplus that's available for sale out of Canada, United States, Australia, and Europe will not fill the gap. So in particular, what we can contribute will be of some significance, but it can't solve their problem. Uh, having said that, for it, it will help the pork farmers of this country who really do need customers and customers that will pay a good price, as China is willing to do.
1: Okay. uh, Fascinating conversation. I am afraid that we are out of time. And let's just hope that, you know, uh, something will break that will allow for the release of the Canadians, the two Michaels. I'd like to thank Chuck Kwan, Toronto Association for Democracy in China, Dr. Jeremy Paltiel from Carleton University, and Dr. Gordon Holden from the University of Alberta. Thank you so much for being with us.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, and that's all the time we have for today on Fight
0: Back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.